0: Welcome to the Fans of Fitness podcast, a voice for fitness, health, and wellness professionals. The National Personal Training Institute of Arizona.
1: Legit instructors teaching
0: you. No,
2: enough of those bad reps. The good quality trainers that come out of the school. Let's get into it.
0: Naturopathic medical doctor, Victoria Munoz. 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 Close. I knew yeah. I was
3: going to mess it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> good to see you again.
3: Thanks. Yeah, it's good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, been interesting at the gym. We, uh, having you come in there, uh, being part of the, the TG wellness program now. Uh Uh-huh. What, what exactly are we, are you offering there now?
3: For the TG Wellbeing program? So basically what we're doing is we're offering right now blood tests Mm -hmm. for all members and non-members and then come in and they can pay a fee, get their blood kit. And the blood kit is actually something they can do at home in terms of, um, testing. They just prick their finger, put the blood on the, the panel, the little piece of, paper, the cardboard, and there's a special way of doing it to make sure that the test will come out properly, and then they mail it in. And at the same time, what they're doing is they're scheduling an appointment with me to go over the blood results. And they, if they'd like, they can continue to come in and join the program long-term. There is an additional option of coming to see me at my private practice if they want additional things done.
0: Very cool. Yeah. What I just recently learned is, uh, we were talking about this earlier, stem cells. I didn't know that was a thing that you could do in the United States. I thought you had to go to another country to do that. Now, you're capable of of prescribing stem cells, right?
3: Yeah, well, it's not really a prescription. It's something that I implement in my practice. Okay. Yeah, so a prescription is something you give a patient and send them off with, right? So it's something that's done in office, and there's a lot of reasons why we do stem cell, but depending on what the reason is, it's done in office with a, an injection.
0: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Let's get into stem cells. Yeah. Um, now, you explained to to our class when you came in to introduce yourself what stem cells were. Yeah. Um, what are they?
3: <laughs> well, there's different kinds of stem cells. Yeah. For example some doctors are doing uh, procedures that's called autologous stem cell treatments. Mm-hmm. And what they're doing is they're gleaning the fat cells or the bone marrow from the patient, processing it, and then the patient comes back three days later for the injection. So what's happening is, first of all, they're undergoing an arduous surgical procedure to get the tissue, and then they come back and they inject it. And it is their own cells, so if you understand how stem cells work. Our own stem cells have had so many life cycles. Like, let's say you take a 50-year-old adult, you take their stem cells. Well, they've already regenerated half their life cycles. So the regenerative potential of these cells is not real strong. And most patients don't really get a good result from these kinds of treatments. Plus, if you know the nature of stem cells, they have what are called cytokines. And cytokines have little antennas. And they follow inflammation so that if you're injecting, let's say, a shoulder injury with this kind of stem cell, then it's going to want to go to wherever the surgical procedure was too. It's going to migrate and try and fix that as well. So what I use is called mesenchymal stem cells and they're brand new cells. They've never regenerated before. They have all their life cycles and it comes from the afterbirth of scheduled C-section placenta. Yeah. So what happens is the mother agrees to donate her placenta. She doesn't know where it's going Mm -hmm. because there's various places where the tissue will go for research. And then they test it three times. They test it while the mother's pregnant. They test it right after the birth. And then the manufacturer tests it a third time to ensure that it is free of disease. And then they process it in a very special way to make sure there's no alteration of the cells. And then it comes to doctors like me to treat patients. That is absolutely the best way of treating a patient with stem cell, using a mesenchymal stem cell. And the product that I use actually comes from cord blood, which is actually the best part of the afterbirth in terms of quality and regenerative potential of the stem cells. That's cool.
0: So these, these stem cells, they don't actually have a program yet. Is is that kind of how it is that they're not they don't have a code yet? Is it? Is right.
3: It? They're 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 undifferentiated. I mean, they haven't differentiated into a specific kind of tissue yet. It's like gotcha. when you take um, a, a fetus and it's developing in the womb, um, stem cells are programmed to become whatever cell they're programmed to become in terms of where they go in the line of things. So even after we're born, there's are stem cells that are helping us grow, and they are undifferentiated and they become differentiated as a result of that. So a stem cell is just a a cell, Mm -hmm. a generic cell, for lack of a better way of putting it, and then it will become an eye cell or a skin cell, liver cell, kidney cell, bone cell, depending on where it's recruited and what it's told to do.
0: Right. So with like injuries, like say uh, somebody has bad knees, and maybe they're missing some cartilage. If you were to inject stem cells into that, where that cartilage was, is, is it is it true that as long as there's still a little bit of that remaining, that it'll regenerate?
3: That's right. Okay. So there has to be some tissue there for the stem cell to work with. And then what the stem cell actually does is it works with your DNA. So your DNA has a program and it tells you what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm supposed to be this tall and I'm supposed to have this much skin and, and you know certain tissues are only supposed to grow so much. So when we're missing tissue, it's not completely gone, obviously, because we have some cells left. But the stem cell will work with that DNA to regrow it according to our program. So it won't overgrow cartilage or it won't overgrow your ACL or any other tissue in the area where we inject it. It will fix the injury, basically, Mm -hmm. is what it does. And it does a really good job.
0: Yeah, that's crazy how that works. That's nuts. I could use some of that.
3: <laughs> we all could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it myself. I've done it on myself. I've And I've treated hundreds of patients. And uh, I haven't had a patient that hasn't gotten better yet. But that's largely based on the doctor that's doing it, their ability to diagnose mm-hmm. and to know how much product to use and where and how to inject it. Um, it's really important that the doctor knows regenerative medicine and has a specialty area in that because not just anybody can do this kind of treatment. Just because a doctor learns how to inject in medical school doesn't mean they know how to do these kinds of treatments. Right. Yeah.
0: Huh. That's crazy. I know some people that could use that. The regenerative medicine. Can you expand on that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So regenerative medicine isn't just you, the utilization of stem cell technology. We do a variety of things to help regenerate the body. And uh, in terms of injections, there's three different kinds of injections. Basic. Basic that I use. There's, there's a lot of other, you know, offsets to this, but, uh, there's prolotherapy. Prolotherapy is essentially a medical grade dextrose solution, high concentration, and I mix it with lidocaine and some other proprietary things. And I inject it into the area that's indicated for like, um, let's say somebody dislocated his shoulder Mm-hmm. and there's ligaments and tendons that have been stretched, they don't go back into place on their own. A the patient will always suffer from that shoulder being unstable or dislocating and then getting worse and worse over time. So what we do is we inject the prolotherapy into the areas of the where the tendons are at mm-hmm. to help tighten them back up, and then we'll also do an intraarticular, meaning inside the joint, injection to help mitigate any fraying or minor minor damage to the joint, yeah. minor degradation. So it works really well for that. It takes three to six treatments, three to get the patient out of pain and six to get him better on average. And those treatments are done four to six weeks apart. And provided the doctor diagnoses it properly, the patient is good after that. And then the next one is PRP or uh, platelet-rich plasma. And that actually comes from a blood draw from the patient. And then what we do is we spin it down we draw up the plasma, which has about 25 growth factors in it, so it's not as potent a stem cell. And we inject it into the injured area, whether it's a joint or a muscle or whatever, to help regenerate that tissue. And that's more for moderate injury or damage mm-hmm. to the joint. And then the stem cells stem cell can be used for any of these issues because it actually does all these things. Yeah, And it's more for like, Severe injury. Now, if you have a completely detached ACL, for example, I have to send that patient for surgery to get it reattached, but then they come back for the stem cell and it will heal fully and beautifully, actually. They won't have any issues after that. It's not uncommon for somebody after surgery to have to have another surgery and another surgery because the tensile strength of scar tissue is about 80% of that of the healthy tissue. So what happens is they go back to their activities... Sometimes it's sports, and they end up with another tear as a result. Yeah. So, and then they have to have another surgery, and it's just can be a vicious cycle. Yeah. So the stem cell definitely is indicated even if I have to send the patient for surgery.
0: I don't think too many people are educated on what stem cells do. They just hear, like, this is, like, the magic the magic trick to fix things, much like uh, HGH. <laughs> you know, right. people are like, uh, I think all Hollywood's on HGH, right? Where do I get some of that? What does it do? Right. You know? So I think there's a, a lack of education on, on quite a few things, including hormones, Very which you're also a specialist in, right?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. I love that topic. When it comes to like regenerative, I just got a question for something that I've, I sprained my ankle severely 15, 16 years ago now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It was a fourth degree sprain. The doctor's like, uh, too bad you didn't break it. And I'm like, that been what do you better. mean? Yeah. yeah, they're like, that would have <laughs> been better. And uh, I'd gone through in two years since having that, like back then, like the next two years after injuring it, I, I probably had a dozen to a dozen and a half cortisone shots in my ankle. Oh, yeah. That's degenerative, correct? Very. Okay. Very Good to know that I'm going to just, <laughs> my walking pattern is just going to get worse because my ankle still locks up on me even uh-huh. 16 years after the fact. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. I'm walking fine and then all of a sudden, ooh, that hurts. And I have to, I have to do some mobility stuff just to get it back to where it's moving free of pain. It's terrible. I wonder if... Stem cells, Hmm. Or maybe it's the x-rays I saw that has bone fragments in the middle of my ankle still, that might be
3: the problem. That could be a problem too, yeah, Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Those bone spurs, they can be painful. Yeah. But the the stem cell can work on fresh injuries, old injuries. Mm -hmm. It can work on anything that's been injured at any point in time and help to reverse the effects of the damage Um, with the sprained ankle. And over time, you develop arthritis. So whenever, whenever you have an injury to a joint, there's going to be a con, there's going to be inflammation, yeah. which becomes chronic over time, right? Because it just doesn't leave the joint; it stays there. And so then there's more breakdown of the tissue over time, and then you have more and more problems down the road. And I'm educating people on this all the time. It's like they say, "Well, I'll just wait till it gets a little worse." That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah. <laughs> you want to get it when it's fresh or at the point where you have this aha moment, like there's something I can do about it, mm-hmm. because it will get worse over time to the point where they're going to be going for surgery, which is not the best alternative or option, I should say, for these things. And then there's more issues, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Stem cell can definitely help a an ankle that was even fractured six, you know, 16 years ago. Does it
0: help help with bone growth too?
3: It does. Yeah, it helps with uh, fractures and. And other issues, of course. Oh, cool. You know, other tissues in the in the joint. And I, I also use it for like had a patient that tore his calf muscle. Mm-hmm. We injected that. He was better within three days. Three days. It works
0: that fast, huh?
3: Well, I don't promise that. <laughs> I, <laughs> Not I have I have to tell people, I have to tell my patients, give it a good six weeks. Yeah. And don't you can still be active, which is encouraged because the stem cell, you need activity and movement in that joint to for the stem cell to know where to go and what to do. Mm-hmm. However, you don't want to overstress it, right? Like, I had one patient, he was a heavy lifter, had a shoulder issue, and he said, Well, I just started PRing on, I don't know, it was 130s or 140 dumbbells for the incline bench. And I said, Dude, you're going to have to lay off that just while this heals. And I don't know if he did or not, but.
0: Probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'm
0: not going to lose my gains. Yeah. No, but you are. Yep. Yeah.
3: You're losing because you just paid all this money for this treatment and now now what? Right. it again. it'll still work, but you know, it's like it could in the interim cause more damage. Right. While it's trying to heal. Yeah.
0: So So you've worked with a lot of athletes then. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Including yourself. Sounds like. (laughs) Including myself.
3: Yes. I've injected both my knees. I had two torn meniscus. Okay. Medial meniscus from, you know, squatting without using knee support. All right. So I didn't know that the beginning that I had to do that. And, uh, that's what I ended up with. It was so painful, but it was kind of it kind of came on gradually. Like I started noticing some knee pain, and then pretty soon I couldn't even, I couldn't even kneel on my knees. It was so painful. Wow. Yeah. So I injected those, and they're solid now. And um, I I had my shoulder injected by another doctor because you have to go posterior. Oh yeah. And then I had my neck injected because there were some degenerative changes in my neck, and uh, I feel good. I feel yeah. good. So I can attest to myself yeah. from my yeah. own experience. Your that, own guinea pig. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm, you can
0: diagnose yourself, too.
3: And not only that, but you want a doctor that uses their own remedies, right, Right. for themselves. Yeah. Which, how many people can say their doctor does that? Oh, not many at all. Mm-hmm.
1: Not
0: many at all. We were talking about this earlier, about the, the downward spiral that that can be. We'll get into that in a second. But you were an athlete, right? So you, you've you done uh, competitions, Competed in uh, yeah, I've
3: been an athlete all my life, still am, but I'm not competing. Mm-hmm. I still, you know, lift just as heavy and yeah. you know intense as I did when I was competing, but I just stay in shape now. Right. Um. I started out as a kid. I was a soccer player, and then by the age of thirteen, I became a runner. And I, over the course of my running career, I did everything from the five k to the ultra marathon, and I won some. Awards and medals and things. Uh, and then even though I worked out in the gym while I was a runner, I loved weight training. Mm. And so I told myself when I'm through accomplishing everything I want to in running, I'm going to do that full time. And then I did that about 12 or 13 years ago. I transitioned to bodybuilding completely yeah. and and I've competed in bodybuilding as well. What categories? Um, so uh, Physique. Yeah. Always physique. I've never been interested in wearing heels. And yeah. my physique comes in <laughs> comes in a little too big for well, I wouldn't want to do bikini. That's just not my, my style. Yeah. But um even figure wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be a candidate for that.
0: This figure figure's right after bikini, right?
3: So there's bikini fitness, then figure, and then physique, which is like classic bodybuilding. Okay. Like the Corey Everson. Yeah style. And then there's bodybuilding, which are the really big girls. Yeah. And um, I, I wouldn't be able to get that big naturally. So I just <laughs> I just opted out of that. Yeah. I don't have a pro card. I did qualify for nationals about three or four years ago. Yeah. And I'm more interested in focusing on my career. It's very demanding. Mm-hmm. And competing was just something I did for fun anyway. So yeah. I may not compete again, but I work with a lot of competitors. I've worked with other pro athletes like NBA players and pro soccer players and, uh, with the use of stem cell technology with Mm -hmm. them. And it's just been just an amazing journey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Where does this all get started for you? What made you want to be a naturopathic medical doctor?
3: Well, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor even from, you know, probably since I was born and I was on my way to becoming a conventional medical doctor. I was ready in my twenties to go to medical school and, as some life things got in the way, and I my my goal was delayed a little bit. Mm-hmm. I got my undergrad in nursing. I got a nursing degree, and I worked as a nurse for a while, and I saw that in conventional medicine, nobody was getting better. In fact, I worked in the hospital setting, and it was just a revolving door of sick care. Everybody came back sicker and on more pills, and I said, I don't have it in me to do this. There's There's something better than this. And uh, I was studying kung fu at the time. I've done a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) I was studying kung fu, and I went to kung fu camp, and the black belt that was teaching the nutrition course was an indie medical doctor, naturopathic Mm -hmm. doctor. And I'd never heard of this before, but everything he said was making sense. So I wasn't sold in that moment in time, but I started looking into it. And I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, so I went to NCNM, which is now NUNM, Mm And started looking into the program and said, this is exactly what I want to, you know, do. And so I actually started medical school there. I had planned on moving away from Portland at some point anyway, because the weather wasn't.
0: I lived in Portland for 10 years with my wife. So I don't know. I'm preaching (laughs) to the choir here. Yeah, that's why I'm back here. (laughs) I like the sun and free vitamin D. Yes, yes.
3: And so um, I couldn't take it anymore. So after a year, I transferred to SCNM, which is now Sonoran University here in Arizona. Okay, yeah. yeah. it's right off Broadway and Price Road. Mm-hmm. It's in Tempe. And finished my degree there, and I started learning about naturopathic sports medicine, for lack of a way of putting it, mm-hmm. and regenerative medicine, and they have what's called the Resource Pain Center, um, the Pain Resource Center, PRC, I've the heard Pain of it. Resource Center. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to be in school when that just started, so I had all my... Clinical rotations there, and I did my internship there with a doctor that um, that I became certified under. And by the time I graduated, I not only had a medical degree, but I had my specialty already, um, you know, uh, in place, and I was ready to practice medicine. So I went on to practice medicine with a family practice for about a year, and they knew that I wanted to start my own practice. They were very supportive of that. So at the same time, I started working on getting my own practice set up. And then I left that practice and moved on to my own private practice. And I've been doing that ever since.
0: Yeah. Isn't it nice to be your own boss?
3: It is. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. there's
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pros and cons. Yeah. Yeah. You're ultimately um, at fault for everything, pretty much.
3: And responsible for everything. Yep. You know, it's, you don't go home at the end of the day and just have free time. I'm, I'm working sometimes till 10 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: there's you just there's no punch card. No. There's no such <laughs> thing. <laughs> but it's awesome. And as independent trainers, I, I, I tell our class that to me, this is the path that I went down. I wanted to be independent from the from the get-go because I went through the same school that, that we now run.
1: Uh, uh-huh.
0: And uh, that's what got me on this path. But going independent was the best thing I could ever do. Yeah. I've learned so much from being my own boss and, and running my own business that it's, I mean, people pay for that experience, you know, to have that. And, uh. I don't think there's a better way to, to to challenge yourself than to be your own boss and, yep. and make those mistakes to make you better because every mistake usually makes you better. <laughs> you know what I mean? So It, it should, yes. Yeah.
3: Um, some people don't, you know, learn. subscribe to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, there's people that want to just punch in and punch out and just forget about work and just go home and, and do their things, and, and I, I understand that. I was there at one point until I decided to, to try this on my own 15 years ago and mm-hmm. haven't looked back since. I love it. So you lived in
3: Portland. I did, How, yeah. Wh- what years were you there? Oh, man, um, from too long, uh, from 90-something <laughs> to 2010 when I left. So 10. Oh. Long we,
0: time. We got there right when you left then.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. we
0: moved there in in nine or 10. Okay. We were in Beaverton.
3: Okay, Yeah. yeah. That's not far. No, mm-hmm. no, it's not. I lived right downtown. I actually, my home, my house was by Reed College in that neighborhood over Reed. there.
0: What 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 neighborhood was it? Uh, South Hawthorne.
3: Uh, well, there's um, Pal. Oh no, uh, see, I'm I have to think back now. It's been so. Was long. Was it
0: near Voodoo Donuts? No, that that's more downtown. <laughs> okay. so it's that's a, like the landmark I know.
3: It's in southeast. Lives this uh, it's in southeast Portland. Okay, yeah, and Reed College is close to, and all those areas, you know, northeast, southeast. Um, southwest Northwest they're all right there you know yeah. kind of in a cluster there and uh, I lived in the southeast part of Portland and you know.
0: that place was so confusing to drive in it's like I explained to people uh, the the road system there just make a make a uh, make some spaghetti and then throw it on the floor that's what the <laughs> roadway system looks like <laughs> you that's know? very true and it's always so cloudy there that usually that you mm-hmm. can't just look for Mount St Helens and go that's north
3: Right, <laughs> you know, here
0: you it's sunny almost all year round. You go, hey, there's there's Camelback, that's north. Mm-hmm. There's superstition, that's east. You know, hey, South Mountain, guess what? Here that's south. <laughs> it's so it's so easy not to get lost here. Yeah, but I can't say the same for Portland, um, which leading to hormones. That's a funny thing. Is like the difference between here in a southwest and a, in a northwest is the the abundance of vitamin D or sun. Right, like I tell people, man. Um, I'm sure you're a, you're a big proponent of vitamin D. Absolutely, it's yeah. it is a hormone. It right? is right, yeah. Yes. Um, so in the northwest, it's always cloudy. So people that have a lack of vitamin D, as opposed to here that have an abundance. The funny thing here, though, is is like it, typically they say in a in an environment like Portland, you're gonna the, the, they say, and I, I think I'm right. You, know, you correct me if I'm wrong, but 10,000 IU's is about the about what you should be taking a day in the northwest on
3: average, or well. Uh, We'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah.
0: I want to hear about this. <laughs> and then down here in the Southwest, you know, when it's hot, the, the hot times, like the middle of the summer, people are outside less because it's so hot. Right. Here it's flipped. I think in the spring you take more, or no, you take less in the spring but more in the summer. Like the hot times you take less, and, and then like fall and spring you take more because we're outside more. I think I'm on the right track.
3: The, well, ther- theoretically you're right, but clinically I see a different picture. Yeah. And, you know, I was never a doctor in Portland, Mm -hmm. right? So I never looked at blood work or blood panels there. Excuse me. I'm sure that it's very low if they're not supplementing. But it's rare that I see a patient that has optimal vitamin D levels. I think I've had one in my whole entire career. Really? One. And we're talking about Arizona. Because if you think about it, even though we have an abundance of sunlight, we're not really out in the sun like we were meant to be. We're, We're meant to be out... Hunting and gathering and and building stuff outside. So not
0: we're not out there long enough.
3: We're not. You know, we're going from our building to our car, and very few people spend enough time outside. What if you're an avid golfer? Well, it depends on how much of your skin's exposed <laughs> and how many times you golf. And yeah. you actinic know,
0: actinic keratosis from being out there too much. Yeah. I so know.
3: there's the risk of other things. You know. Yeah. Skin cancer. That's another. That's another topic for another time because mm-hmm. it's. It's not necessarily sun exposure related there's other things that contribute to that.
2: Yeah. I think everybody I know takes vitamin D. And even the ones that are golfers and are outside all the time, I think they still take vitamin D cuz you just don't get enough. But when when you're talking about the difference in like the seasons and stuff like that for vitamin D, does your body take time to absorb vitamin D like if you're taking a supplement instead of naturally? Could that be affecting how much is in their system over time? Or like if I started taking it today, would tomorrow my vitamin D levels be up? No. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So like, yeah. and, so like if I took it for 45 days, then maybe my vitamin D levels would show up, right? Better?
3: Well, what I do is um, I start my patients on a vitamin D supplement that I, one that I recommend works really well, it has K2 in it as oh, well. Because yeah. yep. um, they work very well together and then they come back 12 weeks later for more blood work to look and see where their values are and the majority of my patients have come up into a normal range now what you're going to see on a lab panel what they consider normal is not what I consider normal because all the numbers in the lab ranges on a lab are they determine that on a group of sick people no. it's not it's not something that's optimum for your health mm-hmm. So the value I want to see my patients between is 700, I mean, I'm sorry, 70 to 100. So that's a good range. And most people are way below that. I've seen people in their 20s, which is frightening, really, because if you know what vitamin D does, it's not just for bone health. It affects our immune system in a very positive way. Um, It helps to prevent chronic disease like cancers, autoimmunity, neurological disorders, uh, and it also helps mitigate cancers that kind of thing. It's also very important for um, our hormone production. So if our vitamin D is low, what's happening to other hormones? Well, they're not getting everything, all the components they need to be perfectly functional in the human body. So vitamin D plays a very big role, bigger than what most people know. We've known about the bone health for a long time, right? But it's only been about the last 10 years that we've understand it's a function with the immune system and other hormones. So that's pretty new. So a lot of doctors don't understand that. Yeah. But you know, not to be, not to get on a controversial topic, but COVID was a good example of this where vitamin D was never spoken about for yeah. COVID. My patients that I got on a vitamin D supplement, if they, if they came in with COVID for the first time seeing me mm-hmm. and I got them on a vitamin D supplement along with other things like diet changes and stuff, they right. they typically got better pretty quick.
0: Yeah. It was, yeah. I remember Hearing a statistic with uh, during COVID that eighty, it might have been been higher. I think it was eighty to eighty-five percent of people who who died, I guess, or were were admitted and blood panels were run were deficient, highly deficient. It was like eighty to eighty-five percent were highly deficient, and and that being the importance you just mentioned, you know, immune system, immune support. Kind of makes sense if we're for a chronically uh, as a country for chronically you know deficient in vitamin D.
3: Yeah, and if you think about the the lab value on the lab, mm-hmm. I think thirty is the low end of normal. For so if you think if they're saying deficiency, you know it's twenty or lower, right? Because thirty in my book is deficient. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's it's within the range to most. Right. Right. So. Okay.
3: So de- they're. People that are severely deficient are more susceptible to disease. And, you know, they've tested people that end up with cancer and pretty much across the board, the vitamin D is in the tank. Hmm. So it's not saying that vitamin D is a perfect cure for everything. It's not. There's a lot of things you have to you have to approach health in a comprehensive way. Right. And you have to look at the person as an individual. We've got eight billion people on the face of this earth. We've got eight billion different stories. Right. Different realities, different. DNA. Nobody's DNA is the same unless they're identical twins. And even epigenetics can have a play in that. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at the patient as an individual and we have to use a comprehensive approach with treatment. We can't just look at one thing and then give a pill for it. Right. You know, that's.
2: Do you, do you think that vitamin D is on those cancer patients is lower because their body's using so much to try to f- help fight the cancer?
3: I. It's my understanding that their levels were never optimized in the first place. So what happens is it made them more susceptible to the disease, whatever they end up with. In this case, cancer. Yeah. Hmm. But there's a lot of different causes for cancer. Oh, yeah, Yeah, for sure. A lot, you know.
0: A ton, right? What What would you say that would be an easy thing that we can do to optimize our hormone regulation and to be healthy? What is something that's really easy that most people are missing out on that they could
3: implement today that would help? Without seeing a doctor? Yep. Change your diet. Diet. Diet is huge. There's different diets that people can prescribe to, right? But the absolute best diet for human health and longevity is a keto diet, believe it or not. A lot of people don't understand it, but we actually evolved. Think about it. We've had 10,000 generations with the human species, 10,000. It's only been since the last 5,000 that we have eaten the standard American diet Mm -hmm. with all these processed foods and, for lack of a better way of putting it, not really food, just chemical substances, right? right? And now we're seeing disease. Well, we, over all those generations, were functioning on ketones. Our body was using ketones on the metabolic and energetic level for fuel and for vitality for life. So the heart and the brain cells actually function better on ketones. Glucose is not really the most optimal fuel. And when it comes to talking about athletes, that's another, that's a whole other subgroup, right? Mm -hmm. They also can eat a keto diet and get really good results with bodybuilding or any other sport. Your stamina is not less as a result of being functioning on ketones. Ketones are a very efficient fuel. So when my patients switch to a ketogenic diet, and there's three different varieties of this, you can have a high-fat, low-protein, very low-carb, mm-hmm. which is what most people know as ketogenic. You can also be a ketovore, which means you're about 50% fat, 50% protein, and... With the ketovore, they might have, like, some plant fats in there, like coconut oil or coconut cream, things like that. Yeah. And then the the carnivore is, like, their hardcore yeah. meat. And a lot of them will just eat red meat, red fatty meat so, with salt on it and water, and that's all they'll consume.
0: I haven't tried that yet, but I've heard people get great results with it. I've got a friend who did that for,
2: I want to say, six months. He
0: lost mm-hmm. a lot of weight, and he said he felt great. Yeah. That's like what meat, but I don't know if I can eat that for every meal. all That's, day what, long.
2: that's what Bradley and his wife are on right now. They're doing that? The
0: yeah. carnivore? Yeah. Huh. So, it sounds expensive. Well,
3: maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, how much are people really spending on other things that they don't need to spend money on, right? Right. Yeah, it's all
0: about <laughs> allocation to the right causes. Yes. Yeah,
2: some of that processed food gets expensive.
3: It does. McDonald's. Have you got McDonald's lately? No, I've never.
0: You have I've never you, eaten. You, you need to try it. <laughs> <laughs> so we took uh, my daughter there once to get a Happy Meal. That's what you do, right, when you have a kid? Yeah. <clears throat> and I couldn't believe how much it was because I hadn't been to McDonald's in years until uh-huh. my daughter turned to three or four. You know, she's not getting this every day. It's, it's, it's a treat every once in a while. <laughs> but I couldn't believe it. I'm like, all right, I'm, a, I'm at McDonald's. I might as well grab something. I haven't had a Whopper in years. Uh-huh. So I got a Happy Meal and a Whopper, and it was like 18 something.
2: Whoppers Burger wow. sorry.
0: Oh, Big, Big Mac. Big Mac, Big Mac. Big
2: Mac. <laughs> How do you know that, Victoria? They
0: that. I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like $18. I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, what do you mean? The last time I had McDonald's, I think a cheeseburger was 39 cents. Yeah. What happened? You yeah. know, but uh, yeah, it's it's expensive. It's probably as expensive as a six ounce. Minimum you know.
2: minimum wage went to $15 an hour. That's what it, That's right. <laughs> that's, forgot yep. about that.
0: Yeah. But no, I, I think there's a lot of... Like, like ketogenesis, that's, it's controversial, right? People say it's not sustainable. I hear that a lot. I've tried it. I tried it with, uh, I tried a lot of things with my clients. I tried, uh, I went vegan for two and a half days.
1: <laughs> Woo.
0: My wife, it, and here's the funny thing. We're not gullible. I was already in the industry, but I hadn't tried this yet. Uh, okay. I'll say this. My wife was gullible. We watched some documentary on Netflix one of those ones that are like, meat's bad for you. you know. Yeah. I'm like, you know, with a grain of salt, I'm like, follow the money trail. However, my wife's like, we should try that. I'm like, no. She's like, I'll do it if you do it. I'm like, okay. I lasted two and a half days. <laughs> it was, I go to this place called New Seasons in Portland, right? I don't know if you remember yeah, that, Jane. I do, yeah. Uh, I was right down the road from uh, from my studio, so at lunch I would go there, and and for two days in a row I went there and got vegetables. Uh-huh. And I'm just sitting down, just sulking, looking at this plate of vegetables, <laughs> like there's no flavor. And uh, Meanwhile, passing up the plate of chicken and all that. And then uh finally on, on day three I snapped at lunch. I saw the chicken. I'm like, I'm loading up. <laughs> and I, I took a picture and I sent it to my wife. She's like, you know. Like, that didn't last long. Yeah. I'm like, no. She kept going for, like, another nine, ten months. Oh, boy. So she was serving me stuff that tasted like meat but wasn't. Oh. So she was tricking me all the time. I'm like, oh, you, do we break the the the, uh, the vegan cycle? She's yeah. like, no, that's this. Why does it taste like meat? Why are we trying to make meat taste like meat when we're...
3: Meant to eat meat.
0: I mean, well, why well, are we trying to... You don't want to eat meat, but you want to taste things that taste like meat. It doesn't make any sense. Why are we trying to make, like, the, the perfect... What's that perfect uh, patty or what's that stuff that's
2: got all these chemicals in it that possible burgers? That's and, it, yeah, and beyond burgers so yeah, I, I we... went I went almost fourteen years
3: vegan yeah, until and how'd that
2: go until two two and a half months ago.
3: okay, and then you switched to you probably had to add meat in gradually, yeah, uh,
2: now I, I just started <laughs> eating meat and then two weeks later ended up in the hospital. yeah,
3: yeah, your microbiome has to adjust. and even if you go from eating, Plant-based mm-hmm. to carnivore, there's a transition period. You could end up with a lot of symptoms, but the symptoms aren't bad. It's just that transition. Yeah. Because our microbiome is what dictates mm-hmm. what we crave. Like people yeah. say, oh, I have a sugar craving. Well, it's because your microbiome is telling you that it needs sugar. Yeah. You get the sugar out of your diet and do it for, I don't know, three months, three weeks. Mm-hmm. And after three weeks, you, they should be gone. And then just maintain that, right? But people don't understand oh, that. those cravings. That mm. it's, it can be tough, yeah, yeah for people. Mm-hmm. Man,
2: I still got Halloween
0: candy. Still,
2: <laughs> I had uh. I had no problem not eating meat for for almost fourteen years. So. Uh-huh.
3: And you felt good. and You had stamina. And-
2: well, I would be dead if I hadn't stopped eating meat. Oh, okay. So, because I was four hundred and sixty pounds.
3: Oh, okay. Well, there there, it it definitely. There's different diets for different things. And I don't ever criticize people for being vegan because that's a choice that they Mm -hmm. make. But as a doctor with clinical experience and the research studies behind it, there's certain things I do support. Mm -hmm. And we, our guts, our stomachs were designed to consume meat and to digest meat. Because if you look at an herbivore like a cow, for example, Mm -hmm. they have four stomachs because the plant product has to go through various digestive processes to break it down enough to be nut- nutritious. And well, look at apes. They're they're vegetarian but they also eat their own poop. <laughs> yeah. They eat their own poop and the yeah. reason they do that is because they're reintroducing that bacteria to help break down the byproducts of their foods. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. I know they throw it. They throw it too. Yeah. yeah. I've yeah. seen videos of that. Yeah. So has dual purpose, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's a weapon and it's
0: it's food, I suppose.
3: Yeah, but my my patients are healthier on a a, a meat based diet. Mm. Not everybody's going to subscribe to keto, which you know maybe not everybody needs to be that strict. Mm-hmm. But I do know that my patients that come in with chronic disease when they go ketogenic, their diseases go away. Yeah, yeah, and they you know there might be one or two things we need to address as opposed to 20 because the body just organically starts to heal. The body becomes less inflamed and their joints feel better and, you know, disease can't live in a, in a healthy body. Yeah, if it's yeah.
0: inflammation is what creates all these issues, right? we got to get, get rid of that inflammation. Right. Um, and food is inflammatory.
3: Which the SAD diet is contributing to that inflammation, which is causing disease and, you know, down-regulating down genes for illness. Yeah, yeah. That's another thing, genetics. That's a hot topic with me, because people are with the misunderstanding that our genes dictate the outcome of our health, mm-hmm. which isn't true. You know, Everybody has something in their genetic profile that could potentially cause a serious illness. Right. But the thing is is as long as you keep that gene upregulated for health, it's not going to produce the bad proteins that cause disease. It's once it's down regulated through an an insult from the environment over time that causes that gene to become dysfunctional and throws out bad proteins. And then you end up with autoimmune disease, cancer, and other things as a result, even neurological disorders like MS and mm-hmm. Alzheimer's and other things. Sure, there's a gene there. Yeah. yeah. But what did you do to, to, you know, piss it off? Right. <laughs>
0: yeah, so people that say that they're predisposed. Disposed because of you know to to disease because of you know their mom their dad or their grand grandparents yeah they they shouldn't just say I'm going to get this because my parents got it it's for the reasons you said that they're not or or may not is because well it kind of goes back to diet right right um, we know that that cancer loves sugar it loves to be in a uh, sugary atmosphere yep and um, and you well, know what
3: they have at chemo infusion centers what. Cookies and candy. Oh, hell yeah. For all their patients. Yeah. Damn right. Because most oncologists will say <laughs> diet has nothing to do with your cancer.
0: Yeah. Sure.
3: Yeah. They're making a lot of money, you know, on yeah. chemotherapy. Yeah. So.
0: There's there's gyms that have candy and, and
2: pizza at the front desk, <laughs> too. You know? Why They're are not you producing eat? the best results. <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. see Kai Green working out there. <laughs> uh, no. no. Eviden- evidently, they stopped the pizza. Did they really? Yeah. Evidently. Oh. Okay. We all know what we're talking about. Yeah. Oh, Oh, huh.
3: so let's talk about hormones. Yeah, because I'd like to expand. Vitamin D is not the only issue there. Right. I mean, we have our uh, sex hormones. Mm-hmm. Right. It's different for men and women, but yep. everybody needs a little bit of everything. What is a common myth
0: with women? We talked about this earlier.
3: Yes, um, that women don't need testosterone. Yes. Yes, testosterone yeah. is one of the key players with both men and women in terms of longevity, reducing inflammation in the body, creating the lean muscle. Body mass that you want. If you're working out and you're not getting results, you've got to get your hormones tested. Mm -hmm. I have this all the time. I see people in the gym, they say, Doc, I'm working out like crazy and I'm not getting any results. I've got this belly fat. I can't get rid of this and that. I say, Well, come in. Let's do some blood work. And that's what it is.
0: Mm -hmm. There's only one way to tell. I I tell, I know this is kind of a, we talk about this in class. I, I tell my students that they should recommend their clients getting a blood test to see where they're at, especially mm-hmm. if they're having problems losing weight because you can you can treat um, a symptom but not knowing the cause and you're just guessing you're just throwing darts in the dark and not, not knowing exactly what's going on. Like I tried this this didn't work, I tried this this didn't work, I tried this this didn't work. Right. How about just finding out what's wrong with you and addressing <laughs> the, the, the issue?
3: Quit playing a guessing game. I mean yeah. it's, it's like playing restroom roulette with your health. I've right. never seen anybody who's trying to optimize their own health come in with a good blood panel. Hmm. And especially when they're trying to modulate their hormones, oh, my God, it's scary. It's like you are going to end up with some serious side effects from doing this.
0: Now what do you mean by modulate?
3: Um, Well, they're taking like supplements like Mm -hmm. testosterone boosters and things like that. Yeah. And it's like, don't do that. I just had this conversation with this guy the other day in my clinic that his testosterone was subnormal. And he really could use some TRT, which is testosterone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to do it. He says, I'm going to go figure this out on on my own. And I said, let me tell you what you're looking at. Not a very good outcome. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it. So unless you have a doctor monitoring your care and doing blood work to make sure you stay within a safe range, you're going to F yourself up.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing to your levels. You're throwing them off. It's like people who who prescribe them so, prescribe. PEDs to themselves without getting checked.
3: PED? Yeah,
0: performance-enhancing drugs. Oh, yeah. Testosterone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people who have done that. Yeah. Um, and not, not getting their blood work checked every few months to see where they're at, see if it's helping. Yep. Because um, sometimes we can go too far, and that leads to other issues. And that goes with women as well. Yes. You know?
3: And that's another issue. I mean, I do work with athletes that are using anabolics. Mm-hmm. I don't prescribe them, and I don't, as a medical doctor, recommend them. Right. But what I do is I manage and monitor their blood work to make sure that they have safe levels of liver enzymes. Um, you know, we want to look at CBC to look at their hematocrit and hemoglobin. We want to look at other things, right, including where their testosterone's at to see if they're staying within a safety zone, right? Yeah. So it's it's tricky business, and it's important to work with a doctor that understands all these things. Not every doctor would understand it or know what to look for, mm-hmm. and I I understand it quite well, so I yeah I, I help these people. Yeah, I don't
0: think most primary doctors are going to have that information needed to optimize hormones. At least mm-hmm. in, in my experience, um, I've had my blood panel taken a few times in the past 20 years. One, but my very first one, I was a little bit older. I was 35. I was actually going through uh, the National Personal Training Institute in Portland, and at that time I was feeling very lethargic. I mean, I thought I felt like I was walking through ether to just, or I would wake up and hit snooze 10 times before I got up Uh, at noon, I'd crash, I would take naps and I'm still in my thirties. And then I talked to my director. Um, He mentioned up in class when he was talking to us that he, he had his blood panel checked and he was significantly lower than he, than he should have been. He was under 300 and um, he took, uh, I guess it was a lozenge that, that would disintegrate under your tongue. That's the. What he used a trochee. yeah yeah and he felt significantly better and he was mentioning you know when I was going through the school that you know hormone regulation we don't we don't know where we're at unless we get checked there's mm-hmm. that's the only really the only way you can do it and when he was saying his symptoms were were exactly mine so I went and got checked I was like a 180 I like 30 35 36 wow. yeah and uh they gave me um, the stuff called Axeron, is if I remember correctly it was an underarm like deodorant thing oh, okay. stick and within two weeks, I felt like I was 14 again.
3: Oh, great! Yeah, I'm like
0: this is what it feels like to be alive and <laughs> not hit snooze button all day and not need energy drinks and copious amounts of coffee, which you do anyway when you live in Portland. You just have to have a cup of coffee in your hand all day, even if it's 4 p.m. It just it's feels the right. Capital of the this, world. This feels <laughs> weird having hot coffee. You know, in, in Phoenix still, but uh, yeah, I think it's really important for for people that are going to start a like a weight loss journey. Um, to find out where they're at. Absolutely. That way we can, we can pinpoint what the problems are instead of just guessing, which most people do. They prescribe to a, a new diet fad or a new workout program. We don't know if that's going to work. Why don't you find out if it's going to or if there's something that's going to impede that process and find out what the hell is going on before you start to go down all these different paths.
3: Right. There's no magic bullet. There's no magic pill. That's the problem that people are chasing these fads and these gimmicks and it's advertised all over the place. You wouldn't believe how many clicks are on these things. And it's it's just not the solution to the problem. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: even like, and I've been susceptible to marketing too. Before I got into this industry, I'm like, test boosters. Hell yeah, I want to get big. <laughs> you know, I go to a whatever vitamin place and I'm like, yeah, these, these are going to boost your testosterone. So is, is this like steroids? It's going to make me big? And they'd be like, yeah, it'll make you bigger. It's got testosterone. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to buy it. I did that a bunch of times. I didn't see any change at oh, all.
3: Yeah. I'm like, what,
0: are, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> I'm dirty bulking. I'm supposed to get bigger. <laughs> this is, of course, me not having any knowledge at the time and just falling victim to, to you know, catchphrases test booster.
3: Right. Um, the get, guy at the, get the guy bigger, counter. Yeah. Mass gainer 2000
0: <laughs> or whatever. I'm like, eh, that sounds like what I need, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think, you know, I think 95, 97% of the population, I'm just guessing is misinformed and just susceptible to this marketing that seems to work for whatever ails you.
3: Yeah. Well, the information isn't out there. I mean, who owns the internet? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, big pharma and, you know, the food industry and these other big corporations that want to make sure that the information that you get meets their agenda. So if they're giving you information that's really going to help you, you're not going to buy their products. Mm-hmm. You're not going to subscribe to their pills and their potions and all the other stuff that they say that you should do. Right. And none of it works. And if you're buying vitamins off the shelf, doesn't even matter if it's um, New Seasons or Whole Foods. There's no guarantee that what's in it is in it. That's why for my patients, I, I prescribe physician-grade supplements. And it comes from someplace that... Where they've tested all their products for, mm-hmm. you know, purity and and purity of content, and my patients get good results on these. So, but when it comes to hormone modulation, absolutely not. There's no supplement that I would recommend. There's um, that's one time when I do prescribe, mm-hmm. and it's rare that I prescribe a pill because I don't usually have to. Right. But that's one time I do prescribe, and testosterone replacement therapy injectable for both men and women works beautifully there's no reason not to do it if you need it yeah yeah
0: well, I mean it comes to down to quality of life right mm-hmm. I mean it's not a bad thing if you're getting what you're with if you're not get, if you're getting what you need within the range of what you need it in mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be it's you're gonna be optimal you're going to feel as good as you should be um and I think a lot of people there's a stigma to it right like testosterone they, like I know a lot of people on TRT and yeah. they feel fantastic. Mm-hmm. And they didn't before. Right. They they got tested to see where they're at. Now they're they're vibrant again. They feel good. The relationships are better, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. So it's not a bad thing when used correctly. But it of course and the other side of that it is a terrible thing when when uh when not used correctly. Right. <laughs> As we've seen it especially in the industry that that I'm in, you're in health, wow. wellness, fitness, a lot of people doing things wrong. And a lot of people getting um, you know, some bad some bad effects of from from that and not knowing where their blood work stands.
3: Right. <clears throat> That's where they end up with injury. Mm-hmm. Right. So heart disease, stroke, I mean, you name it. Yeah. They're not doing things right. It's not because they did it. It's because they didn't do it right. right. There's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. Yeah. you know, There's even doctors out there prescribing testosterone that aren't monitoring their patients. So levels go way up or they're not high enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, what are they doing? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know either. All the money.
3: Yeah, but it, it's a DEA requirement that the that the levels are tested every twelve weeks. So. Oh, is it twelve weeks? Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was when I was getting uh, my TRT initially. It was, uh, yeah, every three months. I went from one eighty to I think it was just in the high threes. Oh, it wasn't great. significant. However, yeah. I felt a huge difference. Sure. Yeah. Um. So.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, the range we want a patient in is 700 to 1,000 for men. Well, that sounds great. Yeah. So um, I work hard to get them there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some men will get in the 600 something range, but they feel great. And I just say that's good enough. Right. As long as they have the quality of life that we want them to have as a result of doing this treatment, being a little bit subnormal is okay. Mm -hmm. And being a little bit high is okay too. You know, you can go a little bit outside the range and not you know, have any significant difference. Yeah. It's when it's way out. That's when we start seeing disease.
0: What is like the the normal range for, for a healthy male, let's say twenties, thirties, is that somewhere between 300 and 1100? Well,
3: 700 to thousand is optimum. Oh, it is. So that's where we want our male patients to be for Mm optimum, for optimal health and an optimal outcome. And it's basically bringing your levels back to when you're 18 to 20. Yeah. Yeah. And we do that with women too. We, the, The numbers are different. Mm -hmm. Um, Women should be, as a total, we look at other components of the testosterone too, but for the total testosterone between 40 and 100 for women, so Mm -hmm. it's different, but they get just as good a result from that level as men do from 700 to 1,000, just because physiologically and biologically, they're different. Right. Right. So, and then we look at the free testosterone. The free testosterone is very important too, and for men, it's about uh, 200-200. 224, and for women, it's about we can women can get a good result subnormal, like usually they're like around the 0.1, 0.2 range, and mm-hmm. then but we want them between four and ten. But even if they get up to two to three, they typically get a get a pretty good health outcome with that. Yeah. So sometimes they reach the four and a little bit above, but Two to three is still good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What is, um, what happens to the body when we're consistently over? Say you've got a bodybuilder that's not, didn't do any blood tests. You got some tests. He's ready to get going. Yeah. Like what is the damage that occurs outside of the side effects you get on the outside?
3: Yeah. Well, one thing with men is they have a tendency to aromatize their testosterone. So what happens is testosterone starts going down a different pathway to convert into estrogen. And there's three different types of estrogen. This is specifically estradiol. And we don't want that because it's when men's estrogen starts going up where we start seeing male health issues like with the prostate, for example. So we don't want that. So it's very important to monitor the estradiol along with the TRT or testosterone levels when we're actually monitoring it, right? Mm -hmm. So that can go up without them realizing it and then they end up with a lot of health issues as a result including gynecomastia
0: right that's which common
3: is, which is they get boobs right mm-hmm. and uh, the hematocrit and hemoglobin can go up which causes the blood to thicken mm-hmm. and we don't want that we want to keep it within actually the lab range that they recommend is what i recommend too so We look at that. If it goes a little bit over, it's okay. But when it's over a few points, that's when we become concerned. And over time, that could cause, you know, heart attack or stroke. We don't want that to happen. Right. Then the liver also has a very big role in this. And liver enzymes will go up if we're not managing their hormones properly, like with lab work and and managing their levels. And so when liver enzymes go up, That can also lead to other problems. So we really want to monitor all these things as we're giving exogenous testosterone, for example, to make sure that the patient stays within a healthy profile, right? Right. We want them to be a picture of health, not only on the outside, but also on the inside. Yeah. And labs is the only way to determine that. You can't just take it and think, oh, I feel better well, you don't know what kind of disease might be manifesting in the body as a result of mm-hmm. not managing your monitoring your blood work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Would you say heart attacks are the
3: biggest? Heart attack and stroke. Yeah, heart attacks are a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's other things that contribute to that too, right? Like cholesterol, that's another myth that I've been debunking.
0: Oh, let's hear this one.
3: Um, so when you look at cholesterol, we have different numbers. Yeah. Okay, so we have total cholesterol and i wish i had a little graph here i would it would be a little bit easier to explain i'm i'm probably going to do a video on this for my my youtube channel so we have total cholesterol which is the total of all the numbers and then we have our ldl which has been demonized as bad cholesterol okay which it's not and then we have hdl and that's another number that you know right. we want it higher uh, and then triglycerides mm-hmm. And so those are the basics. And we have VLDL, which is very low-density lipoprotein. So I'm going to explain all these. Mm,
0: I haven't heard that one. I know low-density lipoprotein and high-density lipoproteins. That one I haven't heard of before.
3: Not all doctors will run it, but what it is, it it kind of gives us an idea of where you are in terms of your cardiovascular health right now. Like we can run a lipoprotein A, Mm -hmm. and that gives us kind of your genetic profile, your genetic propensity toward heart disease, but you may not have heart disease. And then we have the VLDL, which shows us exactly what's going on inside the body. Now, when my patients go over to like a ketovore or a carnivore diet, their profile changes. And any conventional medical doctor that saw these numbers would probably throw a statin at them right away, (laughs) which is the worst thing they can do because here's how it works. So we have the total cholesterol and we have the LDL. LDL when when we lower those levels too low our immune system function fu- suffers our immune system suffers because what happens is ldl is really very, imp- very important for the immune system to be optimized so we want ldl but the particle size is what's important so we have an ldl molecule and the liver actually has receptors on it to accept this molecule and it's a big fluffy molecule it's not hard and dense it's a large particle ldl we also have to measure the small particle LDL, so that's the trick, right? Which you have to do what's called an NMR, which is a it's a test that profiles all this, all the different sizes of the cells, and, and it's, a, it's a more detailed test. We want to look at the small particle LDL to see what that patient is actually manifesting in terms of their propensity toward heart disease. So when we measured the small particle, which is when the LDL which is a fat, right? Mm-hmm. It comes in contact with sugar, which is a carbohydrate. It glycation takes place. And so it damages that LDL molecule and becomes a small, dense LDL, which there's no receptor site in the body for this. So then what happens is the macrophage, which likes to eat bad things you know in our immune system, comes along, gobbles it up, it becomes what's called a foam cell. And then the foam cell travels through your blood and starts depositing itself within the under the lumen, which is the most superficial layer in the artery, and creates plaque. So that's where a plaque comes from. Now, what I've seen with the keto and the carnivore diet is they don't have high numbers of the small particle LDL.
0: There's less carbohydrates.
3: They, they have almost no carbohydrates. Yeah. So the fat is a healthy fat. The LDL is healthy. It's absorbed by the liver beautifully. It doesn't cause disease, and it helps to boost the immune system. So we have to look at more than just the total cholesterol and the LDL because the LDL is not a bad thing. And then in addition to that, we have to look at triglycerides and the HDL. Okay, this is, this is the trick. So triglycerides come it's not from saturated fats in the diet. It comes from carbohydrates and sugar, and it's converted into triglyceride, and it circulates through the blood, And we want those levels to be low, right? We want the triglyceride to be low, the HDL to be high. And when we see those numbers in conjunction with a high cholesterol total and a high LDL, that is a picture of actual health. But a lot of doctors don't understand how to truly read and understand cholesterol. So um, the, the information they get, and I've read the studies that support statins. I've read the studies. And what we have with these studies is we have absolute risk and we have relative risk. And a lot of these studies will be quoting relative risk. And one study had two groups of people, and the difference was 0.54 of a percent. And what the study said that the group that were on the statin had a 54% better chance of not having heart attack or stroke than the control group but it was really less than 1%. It was almost negligible. So they're using these kind of studies to support doctors prescribing these kinds of medications. And they're not educating MD medical doctors on the truth about cholesterol and what the numbers really mean. So when we start understanding how this works, then we're able to better approach the patient with a with a healthy outcome. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's time I got my cholesterol. Well, not last time. I remember one time I... I just remember the number for some reason. It might have been when I went to get my blood work done for TRT. He said my cholesterol was high. It was over 200. However, my HDL was high, so it's, don't worry about it. I think okay. I was at like a 220. Okay. He's like, don't worry about it, though. Your HDL is high. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> uh, okay, I guess I'm cool then. And that's. I think that might be you know the limit to, to their education when it comes to cholesterol is just that total number.
3: So I, I, I believe that all doctors go into medicine with good intention. It's just the unfortunate thing is that conventional medicine doesn't teach doctors the truth about these things. They don't teach them how these things really work. They're more interested in teaching them pathology, which they're really good at pathology, and they're also good at pharmacology, and that's about the extent of their education. Yeah. So I would never put down an empty medical doctor under sure. any circumstance, and there's some of them who are coming around educating themselves outside of what they learned in medical school and from, you know, the various influences that they have within their system and going functional and actually teaching their patients differently. And I do follow quite a few of those doctors, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, do you think it just comes down to the like the int- institutional level? I mean, that's what they're getting. That's what they're going to, to educate themselves on. I don't know if – I hear this all the time in this industry, like, why don't doctors – that have an obese client or a patient, rather, that has cholesterol through the roof, why don't they just say, hey, you need to fix your diet? I hear this all the time. Like, why don't they prescribe food, which is our medicine? Right. You can go a couple of different ways with that. But it seems like they should be more educated on the, the, the benefits of eating healthier and educating their their, um, their patients on the importance of eating better. And cleaning up their diet, uh, their current one that got them to the places they're at at that point.
3: That would make sense. That's common sense. That's logical. But they have no education on nutrition in medical school. The nutrition education they get is for, like, patients on the burn center or that have some kind of, you know, traumatic thing going on with Mm -hmm. their body, how to feed them and how to get them, you know, functional again. But... It's not really functional. It's just keeping them alive. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the difference is that like in my medical school program, I had four years of clinical medicine. I mean, of clinical uh, um, food, (laughs) nutrition, that's the word I'm looking for. (laughs) And so we learned how food works to heal the body. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I've taken the information I've learned from medical school and I've learned outside of that too. You know, I've expanded my knowledge. I'm probably doing four hours of research a day on something outside of running a practice and all wow. that just because good. I'm just so hungry for knowledge and yeah. I want to make sure that my patients get the best outcome possible that I can give them and there's new things coming out all the time I'm I'm not going to say I know everything I had a patient that came in that you know I I learn from my patients yeah I learn a lot from my patients and then I'll start researching it and maybe they have good information maybe they don't or patient will say, I'm wondering about this thing. How come this diet is better than this one? Or this book, I read this book and this guy is saying this. And mm-hmm. I'll say, well, I'll let me have a look at it and see what he's saying. But, you know, all in all, we want to bring the best information and the best medicine to the table for the patient. And it's not a prescription, which I rarely have to prescribe because I can get people better with dietary and lifestyle changes alone. The body, the human body was meant to heal. Mm-hmm. It, we're not deficient of Prozac. You know, we're deficient of, <laughs> n- you know, maybe neurotransmitter function or gut health. Yeah. Maybe our gut's inflamed. There could be a lot of reasons why somebody's depressed.
0: Yeah. I, I think the gut health, I think, right, as, a, as a nation, we're chronically inflamed. Chronically, our guts. yeah. And that's where all the good stuff happens. But we just poison it every day with poor choices. Yeah, Yeah. What else is – what's another good myth about hormones or what's something that you also like to debunk? Because you you got me on that cholesterol. Everything. uh, (laughs) Man.
3: What's another good one? Well, okay. Speaking of diet and nutrition, carbohydrates are not an essential nutrient. And it goes back to what we talked about how, you know, we essentially function on ketones for, you know, thousands of years. And then all of a sudden, now we think that carbohydrates are important. You know, we can remove all the carbohydrates from our diet, including plant foods. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, yeah. and be perfectly healthy and functional. And get all the phytonutrients and micronutrients and minerals that we need from animal sources. Yeah. And yeah, there's this. You know, there's this group over here that says, "Well, meat's bad." Well, how was it raised? How was it farmed? What what did they inject into that meat? How did they treat the animal before it came to your table? Mm-hmm. That's something else we have to consider. You know, cows that graze and they don't have hormones or other vaccinations mm-hmm. injected into them typically provide uh, a healthy meat that is actually higher in omega three. So omega three and omega six has been a controversial issue. Yeah, omega three is more infla uh, six is more inflammatory than three. But we need both. Right. Moderation. We need, yeah. We need both. We just need more omega-3 than 6. Yeah. Um, the Santa Margarita diet kind of does this with the 6 and the 3s down here, you know. Same with sodium and potassium. Mm-hmm. We need sodium, but yeah. not at the at the cost of other things, right? Cost of taste. Right. So you got to—I yeah. I consider myself a realist. I don't just say, yeah. absolutely this. Right. I say you have to look at—you got to look at it from all angles. You got to see what's going on, what's going on with that meat. Mm-hmm. Why, why are they saying that red meat is unhealthy? Well, probably these farmed animals aren't producing the best meat. But I would say that even eating that meat is better than having bread. Yeah. Because we carbohydrate has a worse effect on the body, you know, than maybe a meat that's subpar.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So toxins, we talk about this in class a lot. And uh, I don't mean to scare our students, but toxins, we're surrounded by them. Those are also hormone disruptors. Um, going back to like, like, this is a quick story. I tell this to my class every time, and I think you can relate to this. is people that are like trying to conceive. They want to have a child. Not everybody's in the great optimal place to have one because our hormones are doing various different things, and if you're chron- chronically inflamed somewhere, those hormones are going to be busy doing other things, especially when it comes to somebody who overtrains. A lot of people overtrain and don't know they're doing that. And they're 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 uh, suppressing their immune system by doing so. That was the case of uh, well, my wife. When I was going through the school, we had just decided that we wanted to to try to have a kid. And uh, that's right when we moved to Portland. And uh, she went to her her primary. Her primary is like uh, okay, well here's here's a I forgot what they they prescribed or something to get her going. She hadn't had a a cycle in in years. I think that's what's that called? Uh, Anemia.
3: Um, that, that's
0: it. Yeah, I can never yeah. say that right. So she had that, and uh, the goal was to get her going again. Mm-hmm. But when she came back from the appointment, she's like, all right, I've been prescribed this. I don't remember what it was. Um, so she was put on this regimen to get her going. And I asked her, without having a whole lot of knowledge in this industry, at the point, I'm like, hey, did you tell him that you run 13 miles a day, six days a week? You run three marathons a week. And she did. Uh-huh. Um, she loved to run. Yeah. I'm like, did you ask him that? And uh, she said, no. I'm like, All right, next time you go, ask him if this is a reason or a possible problem with having a child. So she asked him, and he said, no, has nothing to do with your inability to have a child. I'm like, wait a second. I think he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did go to a different doctor, and uh, she was, um, I forgot the name of the hospital. Dang it. That's where my daughter was born. Um, was it in
3: Oregon? Was mm-hmm. it Meridian Park? Or Nope. It was
0: in the Beaverton, Beaverton side. A big oh, uh, St. Vincent. That's it. Yep. Thank you. Yep. I used to work there. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, shout out to uh, Dr. Greenberg. She's the one that uh, set, set us down on the right path. And one of the things that we did is we went more towards a naturopathic approach. Uh-huh. Uh, the things I learned in class, we, we you know, like xenoestrogens, we're surrounded by chemicals, off-gassing here, off-gassing, where we're sleeping in tide at night. You yeah. know, <laughs> we're supposed to be getting rid of toxins and not absorbing them. We're sleeping eight hours a night and these chemicals that we use to make our sheets smell good. Yeah. That goes down to cosmetics. It goes down to the food you eat, um, exposure to the sun, um, exposure to chemicals, exposures to bad relationships even. Yeah. So we started to uh, get rid of some of these toxins that we could actually, you know, get rid of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty soon things started to work. Uh-huh. And I think it was a combination of what Dr. Greenberg was doing as as well as what we were doing to to get into the right spot or the right space to to let things happen the way they're supposed to. Right. And um, one of the big ones, I think, was her not running three marathons a week uh-huh. and, and toning it way down. So she backed way off. This was something we really wanted, and we were, we were up to do anything that we could do in our power to, to make that happen. It didn't happen right away, you know? It's, it took a while. It took uh, eight and a half years, actually. Oh, <laughs> so that's, it was a long road. That's determination. It, it was, and yeah, we we, we got one. <laughs> we're good. Uh, but I don't think people realize um, that we're surrounded by choices that disrupt hormones, and that's what we're made of. That's It's where hormones do everything in our body, every movement, everything is related to hormones. But I don't think... Most of the, the population knows the damage that we do to ourselves on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. With the lack of education that we have.
3: Well, we're surrounded by toxic chemicals and a large degree of it we do have control over. Mm-hmm. You know, the what kind of cleaners do you use in your house, what kind of substances are you putting on your body? You yeah. Know? And the foods, of course, and mm-hmm. some things we don't have control over, like air quality. But um, you can go to and this is where I send my patients, EWG.org. It's Environmental Working Group, and you can actually, before you purchase anything, look at the toxic level of the product you're buying. Oh, cool. So I think they have an app now where you can scan the item, Yeah. and it's a very good way to go to start removing the toxic chemicals from your home. That's the majority of it, what you're going to be exposed to because that's where you live. Get the dryer sheets out of your life. That's a big one. Um, Oh, but they make your sheets smell so good. You know, fluffy and soft. <laughs> <laughs> After you haven't been around these chemicals for a long time, and then you you're around them, it's like, oh man, it's very itchy. We, you. Know? We haven't
2: we haven't used dryer sheets in seven years.
3: That's good. <laughs> and it it
2: wasn't for our health; it was because they told us that it would mess up the dryer. <laughs>
3: oh,
2: a lot of good that did, but no.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, definitely get the toxins out of your life, right? And um. And then we have a better health outcome for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's liver detoxes that I do have my patients do that just for health, to pre- for prevention. you mm-hmm. know. And then I have patients that have disease that I have them on these liver de- detox protocols. One of them is coffee enemas. Coffee enemas are great. I've yeah. heard this. Yeah. But you got to be careful. You got to be under a doctor's supervision, when, at least when you start, because when you start dumping toxins, you can become sick. Mm-hmm. So there's a way to mitigate that, and so working with the doctor and understanding that is. You know,
0: so important. coffee draws out toxins.
3: Well, coffee works two ways. I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. I should be toxin
0: free, right?
3: Well, so let me explain. Oh, okay. I was going to say no, Travis
2: wants okay. to stop by your office every morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no way. I mean, I like to drink coffee. I don't know about the other.
3: Well, I don't. I don't actually do it. The patient does it themselves. <laughs> so we have. Coffee has uh, two different kinds of effects. When you drink it, it actually constricts the bile duct of the gallbladder, and that's not what we want for detox, right? When you actually give it rectally, then what it does is it dilates the gallbladder and dumps the toxins into the GI tract, right? And then we need some kind of binder to uh, attach to those toxins and carry them out of the body so you don't get sick. But I usually have my patients on a three-week protocol, so they do it every day for three weeks, and then ongoing for a week, uh, once a week. And then once every quarter, they can do it for a week. don't have to do the drastic unless they've been exposed to something, right? Mm-hmm. And then ongoing, and it really does help to keep the body detoxed and dump the toxins out of the cells and so forth. So,
1: hmm. I've
3: so, been... so you got to give it rectally to get the effect. Dang it. Yeah, yeah you All can't right. just drink it. Yeah.
0: What is it about <laughs> coffee that... Makes you want to go number two. Well, <laughs> what's going on
3: there? I think it's. it's I've stimula- never looked into it. It's it's a GI stimulus, right? Yeah. It stimulates the GI tract plus, uh, it's a diuretic, so it makes you want to pee too, right? Yeah. But that's pretty much it. It just it has a stimulating effect. Okay. Caffeine, yeah.
0: That makes sense. Yeah. So. I've always wondered, I'm like, what is it about coffee? Yeah. First thing I do every morning, coffee. And number then. two. You got it. It's like <laughs> clockwork. And if I don't have coffee, I'm going to have problems. Coffee's
3: number one. Poop is number two. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect morning. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't advocate not drinking coffee. A lot of naturopathic medical doctors mm-hmm. might, but it's not the coffee. It's not coffee or the caffeine that's a problem. It's the type of coffee you're drinking. Yeah. Because coffee is one of the dirtiest foods that we consume. So you want to make sure it's grown organically, that there's it's been tested to be mold, virtually mold free. Mm-hmm. And then you have a good quality coffee.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the chemicals, right, we use for uh, in- insect repellent and, and yeah. all that other stuff that's yeah. thrown on coffee and- coffee beans as well.
2: And I've heard French press is not good. What do you mean? That's what we do.
3: <laughs> I haven't heard that. I think it, from what I understand, it's just the quality of the coffee you're using but I don't know. I'll
2: have to look it up real quick. Some Something about French press because that, that's what we always did and then I saw something on it and it wasn't just some random website or something like that. I'll look it up real quick. The documentary? <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> Those things get you every time.
3: Coffee documentary. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, I'll be interested to see this. Yeah. That's what we do. We do uh, French press every morning.
3: And then people have different Levels of sensitivity to the caffeine, right? So mm-hmm. that, that really is what it comes down to. Some people really get anxiety from coffee, and yeah. some people just, they can drink it before bed and still sleep, which I don't understand that camp, you know? I don't know how you can. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: Well, that, that goes, like, how, how many people, like, out of 10 have adrenal issues? You say it's a high number?
3: Um, you know, I'd say there's quite a bit of adrenal issues, but I wouldn't say, I would say adrenal dysfunction is more rare Mm-hmm. And you really have to be burning the candle at both ends for a long time to experience that. and it is a real diagnosis. It's a real thing. Some doctors will say it doesn't exist, but it absolutely does. We've been able to prove that through yeah you know various tests.
0: Well, caffeine helps helps uh, drive that dysfunction doesn't it with adrenals?
3: It does. I mean, but you when you look at the adrenal glands and how they function, there's different hormones that the adrenal glands produce. And basically, if we're talking about cortisol, for example, mm-hmm. you want we look at the curve of cortisol. When we're when we're testing for adrenal fatigue, we look at that curve with the patient. So we essentially want our cortisol to be high in the morning and we want that curve to go down so it's low at night when we're ready to sleep. Well, melatonin works in the opposite, where it should be low in the morning and high at night. So we we have these different therapies and treatments to help regulate those curves so that the patient is awake and functional throughout the day and then ready to sleep, but also being consistent with bedtime, which isn't always doable for a lot of people, not working shifts like night shift. That's Mm -hmm. a big one for, you know, really creating dysfunction with those curves, and so I'm have to work with those patients a little bit differently, but um, we can get them into health even if they're working night shift or it's just a little more challenging.
0: Yeah, circadian (laughs) rhythm sort of thing.
2: It says non-filtered coffee can raise your LDL cholesterol levels. Well, we just
0: learned that that's okay.
2: Yeah, so... And that's coming from Yahoo Finance, so that's where I go for my information. No, I just (laughs) Just I just found an article on Yahoo Finance about it, but I've heard I've heard that before on other stuff. You can
0: go back to your French press now; it's better. (laughs) (laughs) Melatonin. So
2: I I I do
0: follow a few podcasts. One of my favorite ones is Huberman Lab.
1: Oh yeah, and uh,
0: one of one of his podcasts I, I was listening to was about sleep. And he was talking about the overuse of melatonin to get you to sleep Uh and how that can actually have a reverse effect by taking too much. I know a lot of people take melatonin. I'm like, are you you sleeping better? No, I'm still
3: not sleeping well. Yeah, there's a reason for that. What is that? Yeah, so melatonin helps you to fall asleep and not stay asleep. You need something like a 5-HTP, something like that to help you to stay asleep, but my approach as a doctor is to get to the root cause of why you're not sleeping, uh-huh. right? So, I, you know, you can over-prescribe supplements too. Yeah, I'm not a big supplement person. I'm, I'm more about let's look at the patient, let's see how to get them better, and let's do the minimal amount of supplementation to get them into the perfect picture of health. Melatonin has a place. I believe it has a place. I mean, in high doses, we use it for cancer care, right? Um, because it is a very potent and strong antioxidant but you know you should be able to produce your own and i do like andrew uberman um he has a lot of good things to say he also loves coffee yeah <laughs> I'm like thank god there's a doctor out there that's not demonizing coffee right. <laughs> but he he does he's brilliant he does a lot of good research and he says in the morning the first thing you should do is not drink your coffee right away you know you want to Drink water, mm-hmm. go out and get your eyes in the sunlight, and then maybe an hour later come back and drink your coffee. And, you know, because your body's offset you know, it's it's offsetting a lot of hormones that were required for sleep. So you need to kind of get out of that sleep cycle. So yeah. and then once you get into the point where those home hormones are, you know, gone out of your system, then you can drink the coffee. And it works. I mean, you know. It, That's
2: a long time to wait—an hour. All yeah. oh, that coffee, like within five minutes. I would have to wait like three and a half hours because we get up at three forty-five in the morning. <laughs> oh, you so wait too if early. I went up to see the sunlight and then have my coffee, it'd be seven o'clock. And well, at
3: least <laughs> wait an hour, but you know, I've, I've heard that before. Yeah, 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 and getting your eyes into some natural light of some sort. Mm-hmm. I know three a.m. It's still dark. You could probably use an artificial light, like um, you know, full spectrum light, if you wanted to. Really get serious about something like that but um, even in Portland you know where it's cloudy there's still natural light so get yeah. outside get your eyes into the brightest part of the sky you know I mean we're not in Portland more than God but um, <laughs> and then have your coffee so mm-hmm. yeah
1: hmm. what,
0: what would you say is a main main problem with somebody who can't sleep they get a n- normal work schedule. And they just have a very difficult time getting more than two to three hours of sleep a night. What's the main culprit? I know there's probably many, but...
3: There are, but I could, main, I could name a handful of main ones, if yeah. that will help. Because it's never just one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So being on their phone while they're in bed. Oh, I do that every
0: night. phone
3: or, you know, on, in front of their computer. Yeah, that can be a bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, also, stress, some people just can't turn it off. And they're just laying there and their mind's ruminating ruminating. You know one thing I don't do because I'm a business owner and I am I burn account at both ends every day. I do not check my email right before I go to bed or right as I wake up. I wait because the last thing I want to do is be thinking about something I have to address the next day or that is people think things are urgent, but I'll determine that. You'll right? be thinking about that and when you're sleeping. Then I'll be laying there going, Damn it! Why why did I look at that? I don't need to be thinking about that right now. Yeah. You know, so I've made a point of not doing that, or even opening mail at the end of the day. I just I just let it go and wait mm-hmm. till the next day. That's really a culprit with sleep is stress and people ruminating on things. And people are more addicted to they're more product of their past than the present. Being present is something that so many people have a hard time doing. They're thinking about oh, that guy or this person did this to me or my mom wasn't nice to me or I was abused or I had these bad relationships or I, you know, they they are so stuck on the past that doesn't even exist now. Yeah. And the majority of people's thoughts are in the past. So if you think about that and people are not really addressing the problems in their life, which they don't have to be problems. They can just be issues that need addressed, right? They sit or lay in bed and ruminate on these things and that's what often keeps people awake. They're not really addressing their problems properly or dealing with life in, you know, in an appropriate way. So problems really aren't problems except up here. Yeah, You could be dealing with the worst thing that anybody could ever think about, whether it's like a bankruptcy and my business just failed. I know a doctor whose clinic burned down and as he and his wife were sitting on the curb watching the fire department put this out, his wife... <laughs> she actually turned to him and said, "You know, this could be a good thing." <laughs> and he's sitting there watching this building burn and he's like, "How could she be saying something like that right now?" But she she decided to find some positive in the situation. We can always find positive in mm-hmm. everything. So mindset is huge. Most people don't have the right mindset. Monkey brain, monkey brain, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all about past, the past, yeah. me, 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 look what, playing the victim, whatever or thinking you don't have control over li- your life, you absolutely have control over your life. You have control over everything except, well, you probably have control over getting hit by a bus too, right? Yeah. Just look both ways.
1: Right.
3: <laughs> Drive more carefully. I mean, and I'm not saying that people should be criticized for having illness or accidents or other things because we're human. And, you know, our experience here on earth is about it's it's about challenges too. Yeah. But we... It's how we deal with those challenges that makes a difference. So sleeplessness, the majority of people aren't dealing with the challenges that come to their into their life properly, and then of course their diets. Their diets are horrible, so they don't have the proper neurotransmitter hormone function that they need to have a proper sleep wake cycle, and so gut health is huge on that. All of our neurotransmitters, um, you know, probably eighty percent of them are produced in the gut, not in the brain. Mm-hmm. The brain does produce them, but It comes from the gut. So our guts are inflamed, and we're wondering why we have poor mood, poor sleep, poor energy, poor everything. Shitty attitude, Mm -hmm. you know. And so I would say it comes down to diet and attitude. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, EMF, you know, having that phone in front of your face before you go to sleep.
0: Mm. It's so fun to go to bed and catch up on things. (laughs) And then lay there and think about him for an hour. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, dang <laughs> it, I can't believe this is going on right now. Yeah, and I get worked up before I go to bed, and then I, then, you
3: and then, then you can't sleep.
0: They can't sleep. Yeah. Hmm. You mentioned the beginning. You did an ultra marathon.
3: I did. Yeah. It was a Rose City Ultra. It was in Portland. Oh. They, they actually don't do that. I think they did it one more year after I ran it. Hmm. I don't remember what year it was. I I can't even tell you. It was like in the early two thousands, I believe, when I ran that. Yeah. Um. And I, I, was actually first place overall until mile, till four miles to the finish, Uh-oh. and this woman that was an experienced ultra runner passed me at four miles before the finish. And you had nothing left in the tank. And I, she just, she, she knew what she was doing, and she had more. I, I still had something left, but not as much as her. Not as
0: much in the tank.
3: So she was one. I was two, and then the first guy was number three. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. So I actually got second place in that. Nice um, overall. Overall in that event. And then, um, yeah, I, I ran multiple marathons, including Portland, of course. Yeah. And I qualified for Boston twice. Did you go? Uh, I didn't go, though. Oh. Yeah. I I wish I had, but I didn't actually go. And then I was also training for the Olympic marathon trials, but uh, I was in a car accident right before um, the, the marathon that I was going to use as a qualifier. And so that kind of put me out and... I just said, well, that's all right. You know, yeah. I'm not going to make it to the Olympics. I just wanted to get into the trials because that's a big deal for most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the qualifying time is 2:52, and my best marathon at the time was
0: 2:56. I could run
3: so just under three hours. Yeah,
0: six miles in that time, probably. <laughs> right now, currently. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah. with the ultra marathon is that. Am I thinking the right one? The ultra marathon is like hundred miles, right?
3: So there's different distances. I actually did the shortest distance, which was a fifty k, which is thirty two miles. Mm-hmm. That was the one I ran. That was the but the Rose City Ultra had they had the fifty k, then they had the fifty miler and the hundred miler. Mm-hmm. So they had all those distances, and I did the I did the thirty two miler because I hadn't trained for something longer than that, and it was just it was a little more than a marathon. I used marathons actually to train for that. And then I would go up to Forest Park. I don't know if your wife Oh, ever. yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. my stomping ground. I ran yeah. probably every inch of those trails. Very hilly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that's what I used to train for every race that I ran. Wow. Except for the 5Ks, of course. And um, and then I'd go up there and I'd run 35 miles because you want to exceed mm-hmm. for the most part. When you're doing 100 mile, you're not exceeding that distance when you're training for it. But for something like a 32 miler. My longest distance in training was 35 miles, so I knew that I had the the energy. My energy systems, my mitochondria, was geared toward, yeah. you know, toward the 32 miles.
0: <sighs> well, David Goggins' mitochondria are geared for 100 plus. You know what David Goggins? Yeah, right?
3: I do. He says, yes. What a
0: freak! That's unbelievable. <laughs> the things that he can do. I, I one of the things I recommend. In the beginning of each class is is uh, podcasts and in books. like, uh-huh. because I've read quite a few now that have that have helped me along, and not just with education, but also for drive and helping me figure out, you know, how I tick and how to how to make myself tick better. Right. And uh, I remember the first time I listened to the audio book "Can't Hurt Me" from David Goggins. I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. I felt because I feel like I'm doing a lot, but after that, I just felt like. I've got so much more, apparently. <laughs> I need to, uh, instead of staring at my shoes in the morning, put them <laughs> on, cuss myself out, and just do it, it's, yeah. which is very difficult to do. People are just built different. That's yeah. all I can say. But that's one of the, uh, the reads that I recommend just to check yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's on a different planet than most human beings, so nobody's yeah. really going to achieve that. Nor do I I uh, think you should try because uh, your body's going to break down. I don't know how he, the, that guy still runs, if he still but there's no way you're going to stop that guy from running.
3: Well, we're but, all on a different journey, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Mine's not to do a 100-mile run. No, I'll do that in two years, maybe. I don't like to run. It's a, it's
3: not for everybody, and I don't run no, anymore.
0: No. So. My, my favorite piece of cardio is kettlebell swings. Oh, yeah. I, uh-huh. and everybody knows this, if, if, if anybody from class or graduates are listening to this, they know the first week, that's my that's my favorite tool. Uh-huh. It's my favorite modality is kettlebells because it's so versatile. hmm um, that's, that's all I have at my house right now. I just have three kettlebells that I use. Oh yeah. That's it. Yeah. If I don't feel like going to the gym, I'll just pick one of those up and swing it around for a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, there you go. you're go. you good. 10 yeah, minutes oh, yeah. of that. That's all you need. Yeah. Unless you want to be a bodybuilder in which case you need heavier weights, but.
3: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Something just depends on what you want to accomplish, right? Like when yeah. I was running those kind of distances, I didn't have a lot of muscle on I me. Mean, I was probably more muscular than most distance runners. Yeah. Just genetically, but. I'm not like I'm now. So you know.
0: weren't very aerodynamic is what you're saying. That slowed you down.
3: Uh, <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a little drag. Did you <laughs> ever do the, uh, the Hood to Coast?
3: Yeah, I did. I did it oh, several times. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
0: know. I've got a lot of friends that did that, and they've tried to rope me into it before. I'm like, uh-huh. that doesn't sound like fun. Yeah. Running at 3 in the morning for uh, usually, was it 5 to 6 mile clips? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then get back in, take a nap.
3: Yeah. And then, and then your muscles get all cramped up because you're sitting in a van. Yeah. yeah. It's... A lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: did you dress up your van? Put all the, uh, put a bunch of banners on and
3: yeah, whoever, stuff and whoever paint the was, windows. Whoever was uh, captain of the team did that all yeah. that stuff. I just was along for the run and the ride, I guess. Yeah.
0: And you did a few of those. I should have just done one. I should have done one.
3: Yeah, still could if you wanted to.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not going back to Oregon.
3: <laughs> yeah, me either. Nah, <laughs> I'm good here. Been there, done that.
0: <laughs> yeah. What else are we forgetting? Anything? We could talk all day. I've got a lot of questions but I don't think we have all day. <laughs> Where can people find you?
3: Well, uh, I do have a YouTube channel mm-hmm. and it's Dr. Victoria Munoz is the name of the channel and my podcast is The Controversial Truth so you can find the podcast on there. Perfect name. And it's all about debunking the yeah. myths of health. Right. And I have I I do my own videos and I also have guests on the show so that's it's there's a variety. Mm-hmm. And also with the TG well-being program, we have a TG Wellbeing series on that podcast as well. So I encourage people to tune in and see what we're all about. And then uh, I have a website, DrVictoriaMunoz That's all it is. It's really easy. And um, I'm my office is located at the gym in Mesa, and it's what one one two six South Gilbert Road, you Mesa, got it. Arizona eight five, eight, eight, five two five. zero four. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's where you can find me in the physical sense. And um, I have some social media stuff. I'm not on Facebook that much or Instagram, but I do have a Facebook page. It's Regenerative Sports Medicine and Anti-Aging, which is the name my private practice. And then for Instagram, Regenerative Sports Medicine is the the name of that one. So, and that's where you can find me.
0: No TikTok.
3: Uh you know, I only have so much time in a day, <laughs> and I honestly probably spend the most time on my YouTube channel. Yeah, and I'm rarely on Facebook. And I'm rarely on the other platforms, so right. maybe when I have some help, mm-hmm. I will have somebody manage those while I run my practice and see I'm patients a, and do I'm everything. I'm with you.
0: Yeah. I, I do it all myself right now, too, and I it's despise
3: it. Yeah. I
0: don't like it. I just rather be doing other things.
3: Me, too, like I, medicine.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it takes me too long to create a post anyway. I'm like, mm-hmm. what a, what hashtag should I use here? Who should I uh, tag? And fifteen minutes for one post—it's ten seconds, yeah. or just a still shot picture or something. Is that I'd rather have somebody else who loves to do that to it?
3: Yeah, and it is—it does take time, you know. Like with my YouTube videos, I edit all those and put them together myself. So mm. there's, you know, a couple extra hours involved in that. Yeah, and I'm just really stretched for time, so that's my priority. I don't have time for the other ones, but it's there, and there's people that are on there checking things out. So yeah. why not? It's yeah. good yeah
0: well awesome victoria this has been a lot of fun it has been um like i said we could talk for another four hours oh, I, we could. I love these these topics so anyway uh it's been great having you look forward to seeing you back at the gym i'll be Definitely. there on monday uh it's the last week of graduation everybody graduates and we take a two-week break and then oh. we start again in uh, january terrific so yeah it's been great uh well, thanks for coming on
3: thanks for having me and um you have a happy holiday i'm sure i'll see you before then yep you will thanks. all right victoria
0: mm-hmm.